Have you ever got up during the night, you didn't turn on the light, and you started to walk towards the bathroom? Anyone ever done that before? We assume which way that we know to go, and we walk in darkness. All of a sudden, we might oh, stub our toe or oh, step on a Lego and oh, wasn't expecting that. I didn't see that coming. Why? Because we misjudged what we thought we knew. So it is with God. God knows where all the pitfalls and the turns of life are. And he wants us to walk in his light, his righteous ways. You see, don't walk based upon what we think we know or what everyone else is doing. Rather, trust God because God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. What's interesting about the phrase, God is light, is that it helps us understand that any time we get a little closer to God, God exposes any darkness. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. But he also exposes what we don't always like, maybe what is kept hidden in the dark, things that we don't want other people to know about. You see, God is holy, he's true, he is light, and God doesn't reveal the darkness to embarrass us, but his goal is to help purify us and guide us along the right path. You see, too often we try to make the right and the wisest decisions only later to discover that we're not as wise as we thought. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to destruction. You see, as we humbly walk in the ways of God, it becomes brighter and more clear that his ways are right and it keeps us from making a mess of our life. If you're following along in your outline, today is week two and we're talking about wisdom that leads to righteousness. What we're really talking about is the more that we walk in God's wisdom, the more righteous we become. The more that we walk and we trust God's wisdom that he knows what he's doing, the more righteous that we become. You see, God's wisdom changes our direction, our attitudes, our behaviors to be more Christ-like. You know, as we're walking in God's wisdom, it's really communicating, you know, what unrighteous attribute or what unhealthy direction does God want us to avoid and what part of the righteousness of Jesus that he, that he wants to see developed in our life. You see, today we're going to be looking at a conversation between a father and a son. King Solomon, often referred to as one of the wisest in the Bible, and he's sharing wise practices to his son, Rehoboam, who is the future king of Israel. And so he's saying, son, pay attention to what I'm saying. I know what I'm talking about. If you lean and trust what I'm about to say, it can save you a whole lot of hardship and trouble. So our pastor of scripture is found in Proverbs 4, 18 to 27, and this is what Solomon is communicating to his son. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter until the full light of day. But the way of the wicked 
is like deep darkness. They don't even know what makes them stumble. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your feet from evil. Clearly, there's a connection between those that ignore God's wisdom, I know what I'm doing, Lord, and those who walk in darkness. Those who ignore God's wisdom are, in effect, walking in darkness. They're stumbling. They're trying the very best that they can, but too often we make a mess of our life when we ignore God's wisdom and try and do things on our own. Compared to obeying God's wisdom, walking in the light, and avoiding the pitfalls and turns of life and hardships that God can help guide us through. And so our first point is this. Wise people pay attention to the condition of their heart. Wise people pay, pay attention to the condition of their heart. You see, the true test of the condition of our heart is when something unexpected happens. It came out of left field. We, we weren't prepared for it. The classic example is, is someone who you know, bumps into us and we're holding a glass of water and they bump into our arm and the water spills out all over the floor. And in a moment, we can either overreact. What are you, blind? Like, why couldn't you see? This is my new shirt. Why would you do that? Or to other people that respond a little bit more gently and it's okay. This is an old shirt anyways. I was going to throw it out, so. You see, what happened? Well, somebody bumped into us and water spilled out of the cup. The thing that we have to understand is, did the bump put the water into the cup? No. The bump only revealed what was in the cup already. So it is true with our heart. When hardships and things come out of left field and we're not expecting them, too often it reveals what's in our heart. Responding harshly or gently. You see, Solomon tackles the heart first because he knows it impacts who we are and what we do. He says to his son in verse 23, Above all else, son, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard it. Watch out. Observe. Protect against anything that can contaminate it. Maybe use a filter. Is it wise? Is it God-honoring? Is it helpful? Maybe use a filter by, you know, I, I don't know if I should go in that environment. I know there is a temptation that I probably shouldn't go in that direction or hang out with these people because I know that bad company corrupts good character. But I know that those who walk with the wise become wise. Guard your heart. 
you know, refers to our thinking, our feeling, and our emotions and our choosing. You see, when our heart is impure, if we have anger, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, it negatively impacts our choices, our words, and our actions. But the opposite is also true, that if our heart is pure, calm, kind, generous, forgiving, it positively influences our choices, our words, and our actions. And you see, guarding your heart is crucial because a life without a pure heart is easy for Satan to defeat. Guarding your heart is crucial because a life without a pure heart is easy for Satan to defeat. You see, our heart is vulnerable to people's ideas, our selfish desires, harmful environments, and of course, Satan's deceit. We know in John 10.10 that Satan only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his main goal. But he disguises himself as an angel of light. And that's what we need to guard our thought life and where we go and what we listen to. But as we walk in God's light, his wise ways, 1 John 1.7 reminds us that he purifies us, our heart, from all sin. What's interesting is that in 1 John 1.7, John didn't say that if we walk in the light, we're not sinning. But he said, as you walk in the light, Jesus is purifying us. He's rubbing off on us. He's cleansing us. Guard your heart because an unprotected heart is easily deceived into unrighteous ways. One area that we need to guard our heart from is anger. Yeah, you may know the character on there. It helps to get the point across. James 1.20 says, Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You know, it refers to deep resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness. Human anger is not an effective tool for contributing to the righteous ways of God. Because typically it revolves around vengeance, getting even, repaying evil for evil, rather than extending grace and forgiveness. And so if we need to guard our heart from anger, where does anger come from? Where does anger come from? Well, anger typically comes from being hurt. Anger typically comes from being hurt. You know, we're hurt by those who betray our trust. They said they were going to do this. They didn't do it. They did actually the complete opposite of what I asked them to do. Maybe somebody has done some mean actions. Maybe they've said some unnecessary, really hurtful words. And if our hurt is not dealt with quickly, too often it becomes anger. Hurt becomes anger. When we're angry, we typically react out of emotion and do things that are less than wise, which is not guarding our heart. The first instinct 
that we are hurt by someone, one of the first things that we will do is start to avoid them. Cross the other side of the street. Don't want to make eye contact with them. That's one of the first instincts that somebody has hurt you when you start to avoid them. So, we need to guard our heart from anger. Anger typically comes from being hurt. How do we guard our heart from anger then? How do we guard our heart from anger? Well, Jesus provides a very difficult but a very helpful solution. Here it is. In those days, the custom was to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was the custom. But Jesus completely flipped it upside down when he encouraged people to respond differently when he said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Actually, Lord, I prefer to love my neighbor and hate my enemy. I think that's a little bit easier. Jesus says to do good. What is noble? What is right? What is viewed as appropriate? You see, Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate good for all people, especially those who hated him. Jesus provided forgiveness an extension of goodness. Romans 5.10 says, While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled back to him through his death on the cross. Doing good doesn't mean that we endorse their conduct. Keep on doing it. That's good. No. But it does mean doing good is to act for the benefit of other people. What do they really need right now? Their actions and their words may be communicating something differently, but we're going to speak to the real heart of the issue. What good can I do to show them God's love? But Jesus also says to pray for those who mistreat you too. To pray for them means to extend God's blessing, his protection, his provision over the life. You see, while Jesus was on the cross, instead of cursing those who mistreated them, Jesus instead prayed for God's mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness upon them. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, praying for is switching what we want. We want to repay evil. We want to <clears throat> give it right back to them. But praying for them is switching it. It is extending God's blessing. Lord, I pray for their family. I pray for their finances. God, I pray that you would protect them and bless them. God, I pray that you would show them an extension of your grace and your love and your mercy. God, bless them with your presence. You see, it's hard to be angry at people when you're praying for God's best upon them. Hard to be angry at people when you're praying for God's best for them. And you see, the best response to guard your heart from anger is to do good and to pray for others. The best response to guard your heart from anger is to do good and pray for others. Romans 12, 21 says, overcome evil with good. We overcome evil with good. If we want to be overcome by evil and anger, then join in, give it right back. But if we want to walk in God's righteous ways, do good 
and pray for other people. In a lot of ways, it's very similar to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pay attention to this next part. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You see, doing good is in part offering forgiveness. Doing good is in part offering forgiveness. It doesn't excuse sin. It doesn't ignore what's happened. But it means that we can relate to needing grace and forgiveness. Our trespasses, Lord. We need grace. We need mercy. We need forgiveness. You see, it makes no sense (laughs) to do good and to pray for other people when you're angry. It makes no sense to do that. But the Lord Jesus is just completely switching how the world responds compared to how God's kingdom responds. And if we want to guard our heart, we need to shift our focus. We need to respond wisely in God's righteous ways. You see, the easy choice, typically the wrong choice. It's easy just to give it right back to them. The hard choice is to do good and pray for other people. That's the hard choice. Typically, that is the right choice. You see, as Christians, it's a gradual process of continually being shaped and develop new habits and new desires into the likeness of Jesus Christ. As we surrender to God, the Holy Spirit begins to take control of our heart. He impurates pure qualities, pure characteristics, pure attributes. Therefore, if we want a pure heart, maybe we need to surrender more of your heart to Jesus and walk in his righteous ways. Psalm 51.10, David wrote many years ago and very true for us today. Lord, create in me a pure heart and renew a right spirit within me. Wise people pay attention to the condition of their heart. There's a close connection between what's in our heart and ultimately what comes out of our mouth. You probably knew I was going here. Well, we're going here. Wise people pay attention to what they say. Wise people pay attention to their speech. I probably know the answer to this one. Have you ever said something you regretted? (laughs) Maybe not it was audibly. Maybe we wrote it on Facebook. Maybe we sent it as a text. Or maybe we just thought it in our mind, too. Maybe you were caught up in the moment. Maybe you had some good motives. You were trying to defend yourself and your family and your friends. But instead of wisely responding, we foolishly chose to react. You see, to react is to reply with anger, opposition, to just say it without even thinking. It's like pouring gasoline on a fire and the conversation just blows up. Whereas responding is to reply with thoughtful consideration. Not only what is said, but how is it going to be received too? To respond is to pour water on fire, to calm it down and bring it back down to good temperature and good attitudes. 
I've often heard it said like this, everything said should be true, but not everything true needs to be said. Everything true, everything said should be true, but not everything true needs to be said. Inevitably, someone will say something that is hurtful, untrue, mean, unnecessary. And if we're honest, we can't control what people say, but we can control our response. We can control our response. Solomon wants his son to replace harmful speech with healthy speech. He says in verse 24, Son, put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Put away, leave, have nothing to do with. Move away from it. Perversity, corrupt talk. Well, what does that mean? Well, that can be profanity, gossip, slander, lies, bad talk, deceit. Unhealthy speech is not is anything that just injures or is harmful to other people, and it just sparks conflict. You're looking to start a fight. You're looking to put them in their place. This kind of speech not only impacts other people, but we understand later in Proverbs in 6.17 that it's actually detestable to God. God hates this kind of speech. And not only that, it points people in a destructive and unrighteous way. And so just to help us understand just a little bit more about unhealthy speech, what is the impact of when we speak this way? Well, for one, it defiles the one speaking. Jesus said, what goes into your mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of your mouth, this is what defiles you. You see, the more that we speak in a harmful, destructive, mean, unnecessary way, the more natural it becomes. The more natural it becomes. And we become less aware of the negative impact that it has on us and other people. Not only does it defile us, but we also understand that it's destructive to community. It's it's destructive to friendships, relationships, and even the church. Proverbs 15, 18, Solomon said, a hot-tempered man stirs up conflict. (laughs) A hot-tempered man stirs up conflict. You see, the less control that we have over our speech, the more likely we will have a destructive pattern of just ruining relationships wherever we go. And not only is it displayed to God. Unhealthy speech is displayed to God. God sees everything, not only what is said, but also what is thought too. And Jesus says in Matthew 12, 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, when we all stand before the Lord, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Wow. Lord, guard our tongue. One time I was on the receiving end of some pretty hurtful words from someone that I didn't even expect it to come from. I can tell you that I did not verbally respond harshly, but I will admit that it hurt. And God had to teach me both to forgive the offense and the offender. I forgave what they said, but I didn't forgive the person. And the Lord had to really deal with me on that one. 
Because what was happening was that I wasn't audibly speaking anything, but I was saying some pretty mean things in my head that if they only knew what I really wanted to say to them. The Lord had to teach me to forgive both the offense and the offender. You see, the evidence of a wise response is how calm we respond to a harsh word. Evidence of a wise response is how calmly we respond to a harsh word. When people say something hurtful, there's the temptation to just give it right back, to put people in their place, to return the favor. But wisdom shows us the value in responding with a gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle answer turns away wrath. A gentle answer is soft, delicate, refined. And I heard one person describe it as does no harm. A gentle answer does no harm. Their words seem to be carefully chosen and kind. There's no double meaning. You're not second-guessing what they're saying, but it's heartfelt and it's true. Ecclesiastes 10.4 says, Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. Notice the impact of a gentle answer. It turns away wrath. Turns away wrath. The wise understand that the end goal is to de-escalate the situation and restore good temperature, good relationships. But when we explode with anger and retaliate, we're not only escalating the situation, but we're disrupting our own spirit too. And bringing a sense of maybe God's displeasure in what we have said. Therefore, we do ourselves a big favor to respond gently in order to keep our own mind and heart at ease and rest. John Maxwell wisely said, people may hear your words, but they feel your attitude. People may hear your words, but they just feel your attitude. Both in the positive and the negative. And maybe if we're being honest, there's some indicators in our speech, maybe our tone, maybe our volume, maybe our choice of words that our heart is just not healthy right now. And so we've talked about the negative impacts. What's the positive impacts of healthy speech? How do we increase healthy speech? Well, for some, maybe we need to listen first. <laughs> maybe we need to listen first. James 1.19 one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. In our own thought life and examining ourselves, are we quick to listen and quick to understand? Or are we quick to retaliate and to give our opinion? If you want to increase healthy speech, maybe we need to listen first. Maybe for some, we need to pay attention to the tone of our voice. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Do you tend to react harshly or respond gently to do no harm? And maybe for others, we need to 
think before we speak. Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. Mature Christians think what and how their words may be received. Mama used to always say, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Imagine what our life and society would look like if every person was loving and gentle in how you spoke. You never had to second guess if they were telling the truth or not. You never had to second guess if they were trying to just throw in a punch but put it in between a nice sandwich. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. All right, let's go through this third point here. Wise people also pay attention to what they see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down with love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Whether we realize it or not, the more time that we spend watching or reading hateful, violent, or even sexual things, the less wholesome and healthy our life will be. But the more time that we spend exposing ourselves to what is true, pure, and helpful, the more wholesome and healthy our life will be. There is truth to the old adage that the eyes are the window to the soul. The eyes are the window to the soul. What you let in through your eyes will eventually work its way inside your heart. That is why Solomon wants his son to be careful about the impact of what he allows his eyes to see and also where he should be looking. In verse 25, he says, Son, let your eyes look straight ahead of you. Fix your gaze directly before you. Straight ahead suggests remaining, remain the right way. Remain the right way. Metaphorically, it suggests that when you turn your eyes away from what is right and pure and wholesome, you're more apt to stumble and walk in darkness. Proverbs 17, 24 says, A discerning man keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eyes, they wander. Fool's eyes wander. We see the impact of wandering eyes in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. When God told Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree of both good and evil. But scripture says, as they were deceived by Satan, when they saw that the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eye, they ate it. The result, God told them not to. And unfortunately... God punished them, banished them from the garden. You see, the wise refuse to be distracted or enticed into evil by keeping their eyes on what God deems as true, pure, holy, and right. The Lord gave me this thought, and maybe this might be helpful for some. Some people think that a little peak won't hurt. But a moment on the eyes produces a desire for more that convinces our heart of its lies. Let me say that again. Some people think that a little peak won't hurt. It's okay. I can do this. 
but a moment on the eyes produces a desire for more, and it convinces our heart of its lies. It's good for me. I deserve to see this and read this. It's harmful. It's toxic to us. Jesus reiterated how much our eyes impact our life in Matthew 6, 22 to 23 when he said, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. The eye is the lamp of the body. Our eyes direct us and it also reveals the quality of our inner life. Do we enjoy reading? Do we enjoy viewing healthy things or unhealthy things? Because if our eyes are healthy, it suggests clear vision, the right way, loyalty to God. Light is a metaphor for truth, purity, and goodness following God's ways. But eyes that are unhealthy suggest impaired vision, uh, following what we want rather than God's ways. And darkness... Our whole body will be full of darkness. We're following wrong priorities, wrong things that hinder our vision. And Jesus tells us that we become what we expose our eyes to see. We become what we expose our eyes to see. It's like this. If we view unhealthy things, this will encourage bad practices and unwholesome desires. If we view healthy things, This will help us see what is right and wise and the right thing to do. I learned this this week that, did you know that bank tellers tend not to study forged money? Instead, they become so aware of what is a true bill and what it looks like that they can instantly recognize a fake. The application to protecting our eyes is this. We can't cover our eyes and just walk around like this. But we can protect our eyes by knowing the truth. Bible. God's Word. A regular dose of knowing what is true. Jesus prayed for his disciples for God to sanctify them, Lord, by the truth. Because your Word is truth. We can't always control what we allow our eyes to see, but we can protect our eyes by knowing the truth. So, fix your eyes on reading and knowing God's wise truth, the Bible. God will help us see and recognize what is wholesome compared to what is harmful. This helps us to to discern God's righteous ways and the right path. Psalm 119.5 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So, let's recap here. What have we been talking about? We've been talking about if we follow God's wisdom and walk in his ways, we will become more righteous. And so we've been talking about guard your heart. And so what does this mean? Well, for some, is there some that you need to do good and pray for others to guard your heart from anger? Is there somebody that has made you angry, hurt, 
to help protect our heart from anger, maybe we need to do some good and pray for them. Inevitably, someone will hurt us. There's the temptation to repay evil, but the wise respond by overcoming evil with good. Second point, if we were just to boil this down, is there someone that we need to speak gently to in order to restore relationships? Words reveal what's in our heart. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Therefore, what has our tone, volume, and choice of words, what has it been communicating? And finally, is there any unhealthy exposures that need to be replaced with good content? Our eyes are the window to the soul. What we read, what we view, what we consume will eventually work its way into our heart. We become what we expose our eyes to see. Is there anything unhealthy exposures of what we're reading, the internet, the TV, that needs to be replaced with healthy exposures, good, G-rated content to protect our eyes? You see, wise people pay attention to the condition of their heart, what they say, and what they see. Wise people don't follow the crowd, but they seek God's will and obey his leading. And here's a challenge. If you want to apply this to your life this week, to grow in God's wisdom and his righteous ways, read and apply the book of Proverbs. One of the first things that Solomon communicates in chapter 1 is that the book of Proverbs is for gaining wisdom and instruction to teach people good behavior and to do what is right, just, and fair. If you want to grow in God's wisdom and his righteous ways, read and apply the book of Proverbs. Lord, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. And at times, Lord, it can be hard to digest. But Lord, we know that you ultimately have our best interest at heart. There are times that you need to discipline us. You need to correct us, Lord, to put us back on the right way. And Lord, for times that that happens, I pray that we wouldn't turn away from you, but that we would turn towards you. God, I pray that you would purify our heart, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would guide what we say that the words of our mouth, Lord, be pleasing and God-honoring in your sight. And also what we see too, Lord, protect our eyes. Help us to know your truth because, Lord, it can guide us in the right way. Holy Spirit, guide our vision, guide our speaking, guide our feet. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Thank you, Lord, that you are for us and you are not against us. Fill your people, we pray, in the precious and powerful name of Jesus and all God's people say, amen.